They say you can make soccer as easy or as complicated as you want. In this episode of Soccer in Snow and Smoke, featuring Montana Grizzlies head coach Chris Chitovitsky, we're veering more towards the complex side of the equation, as a recap of the Grizzlies' season-opening games against Creighton and Pittsburgh veers into an in-depth discussion of tactics, both what Chitovitsky saw from his team on the first weekend, as well as some of the themes that he's picking up from watching European soccer so far this season. We also cover a player who I think is going to be a freshman sensation for the Grizz, what Chitovitsky thought about the first weekend's results around the Big Sky, and how he's already teaching his six-year-old son the basics of the game through action figures and the FIFA video game. Please enjoy this latest episode of Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Thank you for listening. Coach, thanks so much for being here, taking the time. I know it's busy. You guys wrapped up two tough games last weekend. Now you're heading on the road. Well, you got Wyoming at home, then you're heading on the road for the first time this season. Uh, so thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Thank you for having me in. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you, as always, by our new sponsor, Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue in the Stevens Center. Zootown Sports Cards is your hub for all things sports cards collecting in Missoula and in the entire state of Montana. They've got plenty of great soccer cards down there, so go down and check it out. And it's Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue. Sweet 102. Coach, we had you on a little bit before the season. We got a little bit of a season preview when you were in here with Charlie Vandom. Before you guys kicked off, now you got a couple games under your belt. That's where I want to start this past weekend, the Rumble in the Rockies. And this was an event that's been promoted a lot, really a historical thing. Creighton, Gonzaga, Pittsburgh coming to Missoula for a little non-conference soccer action. So I wanted to ask, first of all, how relieved are you that that came off the way it did? Yeah, extremely. <laughs> um, at first, I'm like, great, we got Pittsburgh in town, we got Gonzaga, we got Creighton, and then as it gets closer, you start thinking, all right, these are high-level teams, so we got to get some sort of a result out of this and at least put on a good performance. And the the organization, administratively, the sponsorships that we had, everything just fell into place so nicely, and I feel like everybody's leaving being like, we'd do that again. So my plan is 24 to redo it. New teams, Rumble in the Rockies version 2, just continue building this into something that happens every two years, a cool tournament for everyone to come see good soccer. Yeah, and I think people might not understand how important of an event this is. I mean, this is the first time that Montana has had Power 5 team come to Missoula, I believe, in five years since 2017. Mm -hmm. Washington State came over, and this is something that we've talked about a lot here at ESPN Radio on a bunch of other sports, and this is why it's so difficult for the Big Sky Conference basketball tournament winners to get a good seat in the NCAA tournament because you can't get those power conference teams to come play home games against you. So you're on the road. It ruins your chance of getting those big non-conference results that are really important for seeding. You guys are, are, are starting to do that now. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's been a goal of mine to be able to pull that off. And I can already tell you in the future, there's, there's more coming out of there were there are already a couple of power fives that were signed up to come out this way, so it's going to be pretty cool. It doesn't seem like a hard sell to me. I mean, I was at the Pittsburgh game on Sunday. There's no better setting, you know. I I know we're Missoula homers here. We've got a bias, mm-hmm. but there's no real better setting to play to come out to experience a weekend, especially if you're a team like Pittsburgh from the East Coast. So, just to run down the results really quickly from the weekend. 0-0 draw against Creighton to start the weekend. Correct. On Friday? Yeah, uh, Thursday. On yep. Thursday. And then coming back against Pittsburgh on the weekend, scoreless at halftime. Gave up two second-half goals against a team that you know plays in a really tough conference in the ACC. Yeah, exactly. Your takeaways from the way, and we'll talk about this more. I, I was at the Pittsburgh game on the weekend, so I've got some takes as well. But, but your takeaway from the weekend. Yeah, uh, 
again, really, really tough start to the season because you, you look at when we started last year, we played at Creighton to open the season, and we lost that game 2-1 in overtime. Look at, look at that one statistically and watch that game back, and we were not even half as good as we were in this one now. We kept the ball better, moved the ball better, created better opportunities. I was proud of that one. And then we go into Pitt. And this is a program that for four years has been telling me, Chris, when we play Power 5 teams, we want to be able to play our game. We want to be able to maintain our identity. We don't want to drop back in a low block. Okay, fine. So, sounds great. Let's go out and do that. That's what you guys want to do. We're going to do it. So we started off, and there's hesitancy. Everybody's timid, no confidence, not moving the ball well enough. And that water break comes around, and that was the perfect time to just pull them all in, drop the occasional F-bomb, and just say, listen, if you say that you want to do it, then you need to do it. I don't care if you turn the ball over, but do it with confidence. Be brave. Do the things that you're supposed to do because I know you're capable of it, and right now you're not. So if you guys want to play in a 5 for one block, let's do it. If not, start playing better. And they came out, started moving the ball. Then you look at the second half, we look better. Look at the end of the first half, we're creating opportunities. And that's what I wanted, the psychological win to now be able to go into the next Power 5 opponent and say, we've already done this against Pitt. You guys know you can keep the ball. All we have to do is now put it away. So let's clean up that part of the game. That's what we started working on yesterday. So we just got to be better in front of goal against high-level teams because if you don't, you don't score. You don't get many chances against them. It's such an interesting contrast that we've talked about together before. I mean, you have one system of play that you're going to play in the Big Sky Conference in the past, and then when you get to the NCAA tournament, you have to sit back because there's such a talent disadvantage, and that's the way to keep the game close and, and maybe try to steal one on the counter, but you're switching between these two systems, and that's such uh, a mindset switch aside from just the, the tactical responsibilities. Such a mindset switch for these players. So the act of bridging that gap is, is something that we've talked about and something that you've been working on for a long time so that you don't have to make that huge switch when you're going into the NCAA tournament, when you have the chance to play these Power 5 teams in the non-conference. So uh, against Pittsburgh, it looked like just you know the straight 4-2-3-1 mm-hmm. and not sitting back. Why did you go there? Why? We just we, we wanted to play. And it's early yeah. in the season. Yeah. And you're like, all right, if we lose this game, are we are we done for the year? Is it over? No. So we're going to try it. Primarily because if it's successful, we do it again next time. If it's not, now when I say we're sitting in a 5-4-1 block, they'll be like, all right, yep, fully get it. It didn't work. <laughs> but it was it, it's time. There's The first time we played in the NCAA tournament in 2018, I remember leaving that one being like, there's an athletic mismatch. I need to close the gap athletically. Did it look like there was an athletic mismatch against Pitt? Not necessarily. Allie Henrik's doing quite well. The whole team seems athletic and able to hold their own. So now it's just a playing style thing. And we've been pushing that for years here behind the scenes, and I feel like it's getting there. And is this the team that can maintain its playing identity across the board no matter the setting? Or is it we're up 1-0, you guys go into a mindset of, oh, no, we have to defend it like we did against Weber in the second half for the championship game last year? Maintain the identity no matter the setting and play no matter the pressure. And I'm proud of them for doing that against Pitt. What were some of your other takeaways from the weekend? Maybe, uh, you know, some more individual players. Uh, I thought Kayla Rendon Bushmaker, the freshman, mm. uh, made a really great impact. And, and sort of you talked about the way you pulled them in at that water break midway through the first half. I thought that also gave you the opportunity to make some changes, bring some other players on sort of around that period that helped. And I thought Kayla Rendon Bushmaker was really one of those. Um, and she's... A, tiny yeah. uh, but she comes in on the left wing and she's really aggressive really proactive with the ball didn't look scared at all mm-hmm. I thought 
Allie Larson looked really good, and that's yeah. a player that, that people around here will know because she's been starting in central defense for a while. But I thought she looked like Big Sky Defender of the Year caliber in, in that game. What did you see from some of the other individuals? Oh, it just makes me so happy hearing you say that. Yeah, Larzy's on fire right now. Um, I mean, I, I could go across the board. I feel like Cam's distribution was better out of the back. You could say Allie Henriksen, who didn't play that much last year, came in as playing as the right back against... Amanda West, who's out there as that winger and handling quite well, doing well, and she's just a sophomore. So Kayla did well coming off the bench. Ava's doing well. I feel like the midfield's good. Didn't get to see the midfield too much again because we want to be in a 4-3-3 against a team like Pitt with two 10s who are going to advance those 10s into our back line. We had to be in a 4-2-3-1. That was just going to protect us more. So we had to be a bit more defensive, and that doesn't allow Sky to run the way that she wants to because she has to come back and help in a build-out while on a 4-3-3 with two attacking midfielders, she doesn't have to as much. So it'll look slightly different in the next couple games here because we're going to keep our forwards higher up the field, let the midfielders do what they're supposed to do. While, yeah, we, we were a little pinned at times, uh, especially in the midfield, but I think Mace has got quality, Sid's got quality, Maddie Ditta, who subbed on the field, has got quality. There's good stuff in the midfield that I wish we could show a little bit more, and hopefully we do next time. Yeah, one of the other interesting things was, uh, like you said, Sidney Hallstein was sort of playing in a double pivot a little bit with yeah. Kathleen Aitchison. Sydney Halstein's your leading returning scorer, I believe, yeah. from last year. Yes. Um, but she looked willing to assume those responsibilities sort of as more of a defensive midfielder in yeah. this game. Yeah, and I watched back the first half, and the, the, the idea was playing the 4-2-3-1, attack out of a 4-3-3. The only way to attack out of the 4-3-3 is once you win it, if you can cycle it to the center backs, if you can get it to the goalkeeper, that allows us to roll Sydney up to the spot she's supposed to be in allows us to bring an outside back in if we want to overload the midfield and invert her. And then we can play through the middle a bit more, which you saw happening. I think Sid could have still been a bit more aggressive getting higher up the field. But that, that was the plan. And that's why you saw it sometimes when we wanted. If we couldn't go forwards, we recycled backwards quick and allowed the shape to open and get to where it needed to be. And then when we did break through the initial press, there were turnovers and sloppy moments that shouldn't have been there. And that's what we addressed yesterday in practice. We watched the film. We worked on it. We're going to get better at it again today, and hopefully it's cleaner by Thursday. And I guess the other two would be players who have been on the tip of everybody's tongue, mm. you know, this fall coming into it. Mesa Walters, the New Mexico transfer, and she started as, as sort of the advanced attacking midfielder position. We saw her out wide a little bit as mm. well. I think clearly you could see her skill on the ball a couple yeah. of times, and you could see her ability to get into good positions and be able to drive at the defense a couple times to be able to receive the ball, make the turn, drive at the defense the way that you you want your number 10 to do, maybe just a little bit lacking in end product and, and making that mm -hmm. final pass. And then Skylie Thompson up top, somebody yeah. who you've talked up a, a lot going into this season. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen her written up in the Missoulian, kind of isolated up top in this game. But again, you could see the pressure that she's able to put on back lines when she does have the ability to yeah. run at them as opposed to checking back. Yeah, exactly. You don't want Sky checking back as a nine. Sky should be the type of nine that if you play with two tens, with two attacking mids, Sid, Ditta, or Mace can get the ball, and Sky's job is to just run in behind. And now they're forced to chase because she's a physical specimen. I mean, you see her the way she presses, right? And now apply that to her running in behind to get on the end of the ball. And if you watch our exhibition against Trinity, that's how we score. Ball drops. Mesa plays a one-time through ball to Sky, who splits the center backs, is gone, and scores. And that that's our main threat. Watch City play with Holland. It's the same thing. It's you want Gundogan De Bruyne receiving the ball between lines, and immediately Holland's body shape changes. He just wants a through ball. That's what I want out of our nine. That's where the idea came from, is I want a running nine, not a hold-up nine. 
And that's different to Alexa Coyle, hold up nine, turn and shoot. That's different to Taylor Stroganine, hold up vault, turn, shoot. This is a runner, and that's where I see it going this year for us. One of the best things that's come out of watching your team for a couple years is seeing how you mold the tactics to the talent that you have, right? And that's what we're talking about here. I mean, last year, it really was attacking from, from wide areas, getting the ball to the wingbacks. You had Taylor Hansen last year. Yeah. Getting the ball to the wingbacks, getting the ball out wide in the attacking third, and then getting it back into the box, whether that's through cutbacks, crosses. But mm-hmm. that was the way you, you built your attack. And this year, you can see it It clearly is different. There is the impetus to attack through the middle to get the ball onto Mesa Walters' feet in the middle and, and have her be able to turn and create and to have Skyly Thompson run in behind. How difficult has it been to, to switch between those systems? Yeah, uh, the, the winter helps. That's when everybody feels like, oh, what do you guys do in the winter? We play futsal and we introduce these new concepts and ideas. You would think a lot of coaches would be scared, though, to, to make that change, to, to take something yeah. you've been teaching for a year. But you do have a lot of time there to sort of implement things. I think you've got plenty of time. Yeah. And then you recruit people who can do it. So you watch Kayla play club soccer, and she is a natural 11 who gets the ball out wide to feet and runs at people. She suits what we do here. That's why she was recruited, because I know the vision of what I want this thing to look like down the road, and you start bringing players in like that. To be honest, I still thought we'd have a target nine, but then moved Skyly there partway through preseason, and the way she was running in behind, and I started seeing some things in the professional game, and I'm like, I like that idea. Oh my God, we could use that with her. And it's been, ever since then, I love the flow. It's so much better. It's so much more aggressive going forwards. It's just, can you find Sid and Mesa? But now you're relying on the back line, and the six has been very good at building to the tens who can then release the 7, the 11, the 9. You mentioned her again. Tell me a little bit more about Kayla Rendon-Bushmaker, who was the biggest revelation, I think, of that pick game for me. I know Joel Carlson wrote a great article sort of about her background as a gymnast that you can find on Montana's website, gogrizz.com. But tell me a little bit more about how you guys came by her, what kind of player she is, what you're expecting from her. Yeah. I, so this was before the recruiting rules changed where I could still recruit sophomores and freshmen. I was out at a Pac Northwest ID camp and ran across Kayla and thought, wow, I mean, here we go. There's the future winger who can get the ball to feet and run at people. Crossing needs to be a little bit better. And I was working with her at a camp and we just worked on some, you know, her, her ability to distribute this and that in the camp setting. Um, and it just, it was an immediate connection between us of like, this is a kid who wants to be coached by me, and I really enjoy coaching her, and I hope this works out one day. So the recruiting process started, then the NCAA rules changed, then we were done for a year, and then luckily she still wanted to come here when it was over, <laughs> and I could recruit her, and I've just been excited to put her on the field in front of people here in Missoula, because I knew what was coming, and I'm glad you guys are starting to see it too. Certainly a name to watch. Just file it away in the back of your mind. She didn't start against Pitt. She'll be playing a lot of important minutes when you guys are in conference. I mean, she's playing a lot of important minutes now. She will be playing, I think, in my opinion, all of the important minutes when you guys get to conference. Really talented player, really fun player to watch. Like Chris said, loves to run at people. As I mentioned before, I think she's like five foot two, five foot three. Yeah, she's tiny. Uh, just tiny but a, mighty. A unique viewing experience, and as a freshman, not somebody who has any sort of history here. So Kayla yeah. Rendon Bushmaker from out of Washington. Yes. And let's just think about that for a second. You got Jaden Griggs, who's our senior up there. Otherwise, Skyly, Delaney, and Riley are all sophomores. Kayla's a freshman. On the other side, Ava's a sophomore. Eliza's a freshman. This has been built to be, for the next two to three years, that's your leading line up top. So it might still be a little disjointed at times, but 
That's why, in my opinion, 2024 is our peak when Sky's a senior and Kayla's a junior. And boy, are we rolling at that point. Chris Chitavitsky, head coach of the University of Montana women's soccer team, joining me on soccer and snow and smoke for a little soccer nerdery about how they looked last weekend against Creighton and Pittsburgh. Looking forward now this week, Wyoming at home on Thursday, and then you guys are heading off to play Portland. Any thoughts about you know those two games, and particularly I think that weekend game against Portland, getting on the road for the first time? Yeah, just looking forward to being on the road. I think there's a team bonding aspect that comes on the road, being away from home. While it would have been nice to be able to say on Sunday morning before we played Pitt, hey, let's all meet in the lobby and go over this film and walk through these set pieces. It's harder to do here. Hey, let's all go drive from your house 15 minutes to get to the locker room. Let's do it. Pitt had that experience. Gonzaga did. Creighton did here. It's When you're on the road, it brings the team closer together. You can do more detailed work. And so I'm looking forward to doing that a little bit. And Wyoming's a good test. They've, they've come short with their results. But if you watch them play, it's good. And now the question becomes, are they going to change anything? Are they not? How desperate are they to pull off a result? So I'm, I'm interested to see the psychological spot they're in and what they try to do to us. Yeah, and that leads into Wyoming. One of their results, or I guess they didn't get the result, but Northern Colorado mm-hmm. beat them 2 to nothing in the first weekend. An interesting weekend of Big Sky Soccer, I thought. Northern Colorado started off really well. Eastern Washington drew 1-1 against Oregon State. Yeah. NAU last night... Uh, which would have been, I guess, Tuesday night, took South Dakota State, which was an NCAA tournament team. Last year, they were up 2-0 at halftime, gave up three goals in the second half for uh, sort of a tough loss there. But what have you thought about some of the other teams around the conference this first weekend? Yeah, I think it's... uh, Not sure where I want to go with that. I see results that I like, and then I see results on the other end. It's like you shouldn't be losing 5-6-0, right? And it's, it's the same thing to us previous years. We've been in that same position, and it's... Clearly, it's nice to see more consistency in certain results against good teams. I love that. Like, NAU's results are very good. Eastern doing that. You can see the potential. But then it's like, can you back it up game and then the next game, um, Thursday through or Friday through Sunday? So I feel like we're closing the gap as a conference, but just need to keep going. So I think there's progress being made. Um, I enjoy the pressure that's coming from the conference, and I enjoy pressuring everybody to be better too. So... Let's just keep evolving because there's talent in this conference and there's talented coaches, so let's keep getting better. How much of it is that impetus or that inspiration to sort of be trying new things in the first weekend against the quality opponents, and, and maybe that leads to some of you know where you're, where you're losing 5 nothing. Yeah, absolutely right. Are you rotating a lot? Are you trying new players in different positions? And yeah, who knows? I mean, it, we're all learning, right? We, we took a lot out of this price weekend too, and so... I never get too stressed about what happens in the first four games because it means nothing come September when the slate gets wiped and we start conference play. Now it's time for the Soccer Card Spotlight, our new segment highlighting some of the great offerings that they have down at Zootown Sports Cards. Soccer and Snow and Smoke is brought to you by Zootown Sports Cards. Missoula's hub for sports card collecting down in the Stevens Center, 2100 Stevens Avenue, Unit 102. I know they've got a sports card show coming up later in September, so go to ZooTownSportsCards.com if you want more info on that. This weekend for the Soccer Card Spotlight, I went on down to ZooTown, got myself a couple packs of the Panini Prism 2021-22 cards that they have for the Premier League. We pulled some cool stuff. Blue Prism card of the young Chelsea midfielder, Billy Gilmore. This was when he was on loan at Norwich. 
That card limited to 340 copies, so that was a pretty cool pull. We got a couple other Prism cards of the Leeds United left back Luke Ayling. And another Chelsea Loney, actually, Armando Broja from back when he was at Southampton. Among the base cards, we pulled a Cristiano Ronaldo. We pulled a Mohamed Salah. So two of the biggest names, maybe the two biggest names in the Premier League. That was pretty awesome. But the guy I want to highlight for this week's soccer card spotlight, we pulled a base card of the young Watford striker, Cucho Hernandez. Cucho no longer with Watford. He swapped the black and yellow of the Hornets for the black and yellow of the Columbus crew. And this is something that I talked about in a recent episode, the stories of the summer with Ross McMoney's. But just a shocking name to see go over to Major League Soccer. Cucho never really set the Premier League alight, but still the fact that an MLS team was willing to buy a guy who's still certainly a prospect in the Premier League for, I believe, around $10 million, it just illustrates how diverse the player acquisition avenues have gotten for Major League Soccer, which I think is such a great thing for the league. It used to be that the players that you would see coming over to MLS from Europe were the old stars, the washed-up players. Guys like David Beckham, guys like Andrea Pirlo, guys like Robbie Keane, guys like Frank Lampard, guys like David Villa, who might have had a couple good years left in them, but it was obvious that this was where they were going to retire. And it was a lot of those guys in the league, and then a lot of the rest of the league was made up of CONCACAF players. I mean, some of the best American players, certainly some of the good Mexican talent, Costa Rican talent from some of the Central American teams. What we've seen recently is we've seen Major League Soccer teams really expand the ways in which they're willing to acquire talent and the types of talent that they're willing to acquire. We've seen teams like Atlanta United with Miguel Almiron, who featured on the Soccer Card Spotlight last week, buy up young South American talent, guys who are looking to make moves to Europe, but the MLS team's going to take them for a couple years, develop them further, hope to make a profit on their transfer fee. I thought guys like that, Almiron... Brian Rodriguez, Diego Rossi at LAFC, big influx of talent into the league. And now we're seeing it work a little bit the other way with guys who are certainly prospects in Europe, but have seen their stars dim a little bit like Cucho, like Ricky Puig, who was once a rotation player and a guy who seemed to have a bright future at FC Barcelona, fell out of favor a little bit, just signed with the LA Galaxy. So the fact that Columbus Crew, which as you can tell, not one of the big luxury markets in Major League Soccer, is able to go out and show ambition by signing a guy like Cucho Hernandez from the Premier League for around $10 million. It says a lot about where MLS is going and how the level of talent in the league is rising. Cucho Hernandez, by the way, setting the world on fire for Columbus. Seven goals in his first seven games in MLS, including two last weekend against my beloved Atlanta United to get a 2-2 draw for the crew which I guess shows you a little bit of how much the league still has to go. But that was, nevertheless, a very cool card to pack in our Panini Prism Premier League packs. Try saying that three times fast. That we picked up from Zootown Sports Cards. These are awesome cards, almost like a, a Topps Chrome type of product where they've all got the shiny film on them, even the base cards. It's a really cool looking product and they've got all the top players in the Premier League in there. So if you're looking to pick up a pack or two for yourself, head on down to Zootown Sports Cards, 2100 Stevens Avenue in the Stevens Center. Talk to Hillary and Jason. They'll be all too happy to show you the great selection of soccer cards that they have on hand, not just the Premier League. Bundesliga, La Liga, they've got some MLS cards there. NWSL, I know that the sets for this winner's world cup are going to start to come out soon so if you're looking to pack the biggest players from the national teams get yourself on down to zootown sports cards again that's 2100 stevens avenue unit 102 in the stevens center or you can always find them online at zootownsportscards.com now back to soccer and snow and smoke (laughs) 
Chris Chiavisky joining me, Andrew Houghton, in studio here at the Missoula Broadcasting Company for a little soccer and snow and smoke action after the first weekend of play for the University of Montana women's soccer team. Chris, I think we've covered that pretty well. Let's talk about something else. What do you, what do you want to talk about here? Oh, wow. What else do I want to talk about? Let's see. I'd like to look at the, the overall landscape of collegiate women's soccer just so people have a good understanding of what that's like, right? The way that I usually view it when I talk to my foreign recruits, especially ones from overseas in Europe, mainland Europe, is when you look at the U.S., think of it as all sorts of, so all these conferences, uh, different countries and their leagues, right? So what league are we? Are we as the big sky, the Premier League? So when we play in the Champions League, the NCAA tournament, there's a good chance we're winning everything. We're not the Premier League, no. We're more like the Scottish Premiership, right? So we're Celtic or Rangers, we wanna win our league, and then when we go to the NCAA tournament slash Champions League, now when we're matched up against Barcelona, it's really hard to win that game, right? So just, I, I, I would hope that people out there understand that, yeah, the, the ACC is a Power Five conference, and the performance that these kids put in against Pitt was really impressive against a high-flying team that in a few weeks is gonna play North Carolina and Duke. And it's, that's, yeah, I think that's, that's just such a big difference, and I hope the people here are understanding that, and even though it's a loss, it's, it's still steps forward and we're moving in the right direction. And are we ever gonna close the gap? I hope so, fingers crossed. We gotta remove that limit and say no, we'll say we're shooting for it. And let's just keep going. And you got kids in the locker room who believe in it, who wanna do it, and they're so hungry. And I just love coaching them. Sure, uh, let's talk about that a little bit further because it's not a, for people who are coming into it, it's not sort of a one-to-one -one comparison either to the teams that you would expect to be good, like if you watch college basketball, right? Like the, the ACC is, is really good. But also some of these West Coast teams are good. The California schools yes. are really, really good. And then that's not, you know, if you're just coming out of your college basketball, college football fan, it's not the same schools exactly that are that are really good. So, like, you guys played one of those California schools last year. Yeah. Long Beach. Long Beach, right? Absolutely. Not a good, yep. not a good basketball school. I don't even think they have a football team. But that that was a yep. really good result for you. That was a huge result. Long Beach at the time was getting top twenty-five in the nation votes. So they were they're very good program. Barely lost to USC the other day, one zero. So it's a uh, they are a powerhouse program. So anybody out of California is going to be good because California is a soccer hotbed, right? So is Texas. Um, so you've got these states that are going to have very high level programs. And now, what on earth is going on with all these conference shifts? We can talk about that too, right? Where are things going? <laughs> how does that affect? How does that affect the soccer landscape? No, immensely. Yeah, immensely. And I feel like what's happening in the Pac-12. If there are shifts out of the Mountain West to the Pac-12, what is that doing to the Big Sky? Are schools going to get poached from the Big Sky to move up there? Right? Um, I, I have no idea. And so when I talk to my 24 recruits and we get to that point of talking about the conferences and what things look like, I'm like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I have no idea. So is the big sky gonna be completely different? Are we gonna start pulling schools to add to the big sky to make it even better? Possibly, so I don't know. Yeah, it's an exciting time to be honest. Right, but it's also, it's not something that will ever be determined by the soccer side of nope. it, right? These soccer teams are, just, it's, it's all for the football money. Yes. And nobody cares when the dust settles whether that makes a good soccer conference or, or not. Exactly. Yeah, look at UCLA having to be in the Big Ten now. And it's, so you're going to travel to play Rutgers? Maryland. <laughs> in Maryland? Yeah. That's across the other side of the country. So many different time zones. It's yeah, insanity. Yeah, I think that's sort of an underreported aspect of this crazy conference realignment. And, and we've talked about it a lot 
um, here at ESPN Radio on on Juanes now. Everything is happening because of the football money and because of these big football matchups. Because now you can have UCLA, for example, playing Michigan, which is good. Cool. I guess some people I mean, who, who, look who, for, looks forward to that, and it'll make who's not going to watch that. <laughs> it'll make the conferences and the universities a lot more money. But a lot of these knock-on effects are affecting the sports that don't make money, and now the travel is much longer. Mm-hmm. Players are missing a lot more time in class, and that's for you know soccer, whatever. I mean, swimming, mm-hmm. basically anything that's not basketball or football doesn't stand to make any more money off of this. Yeah, it's tough, uh, the travel schedules on everything. But also, it's not you can't shift conferences without being in the proper academic spot, right? So... It, it's you, you, there are academic levels that have to be met if anybody's switching conferences, which is a big piece that people need to pay attention to. And hence why Montana's R1 status as one of the top research institutions in the world puts us at the level of Pac-12 schools, Mountain West schools, other the top tier schools out there. It's things like that that are really important to have because you can't just be like, hey, we're going to move and we're going to go to that conference. It's, it has to be a match academically, first and foremost as well as then the football piece, which we all know is what really matters too. Yeah, we'll see if the academics continue to matter in that way Yeah, uh, right. as, as we move forward. What else have you been getting up to? Have you been able to watch any European soccer? 100%. Watch it every single weekend with my son. Um, he doesn't know who he supports. The kid's got, he wears a City jersey one day, Chelsea jersey the next day. Uh, he's got a Man United jersey. And I know it's blasphemous. People look at him and say, weren't you just wearing a City kit yesterday? Why are you wearing a Ronaldo Man United jersey today? He just likes watching good soccer, and that's it. So we watch it every single morning. If the Premier League game doesn't excite us, we flip right into the Bundesliga and we watch that because love myself some German soccer. Yeah, I think soccer, it's a lot easier to just root for the players yeah. uh, as opposed to the teams, especially when you're young um, because players are moving around so much. Yes. And, you know, it, it's not like a football where everybody's head is covered with the helmet and yes. you've got 11 guys who all look more or less the same yes. when you're watching the Seahawks or the Broncos or, yeah. or whomever. Uh, you can really easily pick these players out yeah. and, and form an attachment to them as opposed to the team. So mm-hmm. I don't begrudge your son a little bit of waffling. Yeah. Six years old. It's fine. <laughs> he, he is time to figure it out. But no, it's interesting taking the, the journey with him through this stuff to to be able to watch games. He's got a set of little soccer guys that he plays with on the ground every single day. He plays in the morning, plays in the middle of the afternoon, he gets back from school, plays at night, takes him to bed and plays in bed with him. And occasionally, now that he's a bit older, I'll play some FIFA Xbox with him and we'll pause it in the game and we'll go into a replay and be like, listen, we're on the same team. I'm trying to tell you to pass me the ball here because watch how the defender steps here and now see how that gap's open. What do you have to do? Well, I should dribble through that gap or I should have my guy run through that gap and then you'll play me. The I enjoy teaching him this is a six-year-old who i think is getting more knowledge than some of my college kids are getting at times because we're, we're doing it daily even with the tiny little soccer guys playing and it's it's cool to see him getting that much smarter and even my daughter sees and she's not interested in soccer at all but she can pick out a gap between defenders and know she'll tell you a formation as an eight-year-old immediately at the start of the game because she's like okay i've been trained to read these things a, a youngster to watch out for on the scene is what you're saying in a couple of years here when oh, he starts potentially. To, yeah 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 who knows i just i just enjoy having i don't know really deep level conversations like i enjoy coming in here and just having tactical talk with you over this and hopefully there's somebody sitting out there i know there are certain ones because they reach out to me on twitter and have these conversations too but we got people out there who just love talking soccer yeah so you've gotten to watch a little man city oh yeah 
you said you've taken some ideas from what they've been doing with, yeah. with Erling Haaland, who was the yeah. big summer signing this year. Liverpool have, have dropped a number of points. Do you think the Premier yeah. League is just going to be a walk this year? The Premier League will be... Remember how Leicester won it many years back? I do. I think it'll be like that because you got the World Cup. Whoever's got the most internationals who are going to be gone the longest and have some injuries, I think we have a surprise this year. Or oh, City runs away with it. But it should be. Could it be Arsenal? Maybe that would be a huge. That would be back? a huge surprise, which is kind of yeah. shocking. Yeah, but they they themselves have internationals. I mean, Brazil's right. probably going to make a decent run. So right. you're missing Gabi Jesus. You're missing a couple other players. You got an issue. So who is it that doesn't have internationals? Who's up there towards the top that might be able to make a run? That's why I'm I'm surprised. And and not only missing time, but coming back, having played you know six or seven really high level games exactly. in. I know they're having it in the winter yeah. uh, to sort of mitigate the problem of Qatar yeah. being one of the hottest places on earth. Yes. It's still going to be 90 degrees there exactly. in and the winter when they're playing. Yeah. Yep. And then and then trying to come back and, and hit that same level. What else have you seen from what you've been watching? So the, the idea of these inverted outside backs, right, bringing them in, and you see City doing it a lot. You watch Celtic from two years ago, Angie Postacoglu, who's an Australian manager, started implementing it there. Celtic were brilliant at it last year. And you watch City play right now, the way he uses them, it's almost a carbon copy of what Celtic have been doing for two years. So I hope everybody's not running around being like, oh, Pep's really hardcore inverting these outside backs at times. It's Angie's been doing that for a while. And it's all, you, you can see very similar patterns of play in there to exactly what Celtic have been doing. They just do it even more aggressively. And for Pep, at least, it's tactical of like, oh, we'll invert against this team and maybe not against this one based on what we're seeing for, for Celtic. It's like, no, this is how we play. This is what we do. And so we'll either find him in the split or we're going to play straight into the winger's feet and advance the 10 and get him behind. But it's, uh, I, I love that. It's narrowing the back line to allow full width across the top. Because if we're in a 4-2-3-1 with two wide outside backs, that means the 7 and 11, the two wingers have to come infield to help us build. While that's saying, let's have full width across the top of the field and compact to the bottom, play out in a tight way, almost like a rondo, and then find the free 10s who can release a 7 in a gap. Because imagine the back line having to deal with a very wide winger, another wide winger. Like You guys are starting to get spread and the gaps are appearing. Now all we have to do is hit the correct through ball and you have issues. And that's why Erling Haaland suits it, because he can run in behind. Even though everyone thinks he's a big target, the boy can run really fast. Unbelievable player. Uh, unbelievable physical attributes that Erling Haaland yeah. has. When he, the goal he scored in the first match of the season for yes. City, uh, just when he takes off with those big, long strides, and it's like, yeah. man, he's run, he runs so mechanically, yeah. but he just takes up so much ground. But let's go a little bit further into this tactical idea because it's the inverse of what we've had. The recent fad has been sort of the inverted wingers with the the wingers cutting inside yes. onto their strong foot and then the fullbacks overlapping yes. back out to the outside to provide that sort of width. Now you're starting with that width and yes. you're able to send runners through those gaps. Does that lead to now maybe a renaissance of, of playing the wingers on their strong-footed side? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it gives you that a little bit more. I think it's just interesting. And again, a lot of people are going to start doing it. We're kind of trying it ourselves a lot. Do you invert the weak side? Do you invert the strong side? Do we invert both of them at the same time? That was the plan with Pitt. We knew that their wingers will follow our outside backs. So if we invert them and they come in, now Ali Larson has a clear ball into Kayla's feet. And we've bypassed their whole front line and their midfield. And now it's just Kayla 1v1 against an outside back. So the plan the whole time was, and I shared it with them in an email after, it's like, we just, we were trying to do this to you guys. And it was, to be honest, proving to be quite effective at times. We just had to be better at executing it once it got up there. Really interesting. You can get so deep in the weeds with this stuff. 
it's something that would change for you though based on on your personnel yeah, yeah, yeah depending yeah, exactly. on, on who you have year to year if you don't have center backs who can play out of the back then what's the point of doing it right so it needs to be it takes years to recruit to a certain playing style and then occasionally you drop a stoger and alexa core you're like all right well she's amazing so you got to play to her strengths right so she has to be a hold-up target for this reason and then you play this way so every year for us i think at first it may have been frustrating for the teams here of Okay, we're in a 4-4-2 diamond, now he wants to be in a 4-2-3-1, now we need to play a hybrid of a diamond in a 4-3-3, and now he wants to do a 3-5-2, and now he wants to be in a 4-3-3 again, but he also tells us we have to play in a 4-2-3-1. The players figure it out now. It's My example is I was at an ECNL event recruiting. There are two teams, one is Legends, one is PDA. PDA from New Jersey haven't lost all year. They're unbeaten, and they're losing 5-0 at halftime, and the coach is losing it. You guys suck, you're not trying, you're this, you're that, and that, that wasn't the problem. It's he didn't put them in the correct spots. Legends had scouted them. They marked up the best players. And all you had to do was change formations. If you did, you'd find free players in the midfield. If you went in a 3-6-1 like a Creighton, you would have overloaded the middle. You would have still found the wing backs through. You would have won the game comfortably. But you refused to change. And hence, you started getting angry at them for not solving the 1v1 issue and just put an extra chess piece in the middle of the field. Now they have to adapt. And your players are smart enough to find the free player. And that's why we change formations, is if you've figured us out and you're stopping us, we'll just put people in different spots. Now it's your turn to adjust to stop us again. Well, and you guys have the versatile players exactly. who can who can do that. And I, the biggest example that I saw from over the weekend, Ava Samuelson, who started, I think, at left back. Yes. And then midway through the first half, you put her up on the right wing. Yeah. Um, and she was able to be really effective in both of those spots. I mean, yeah. get forward in both of those spots. And a player like we mentioned, like Sydney Halstein, who's your leading scorer from a year ago, who's able to drop back and play in the center of midfield, or, you know, Mesa Walters being able to play the 10, exactly. being able to play out on the wing. Yes, yeah, you need players who can do multiple things. Allie Henriksen is actually a better center back than she is outside back, but she's a pretty good outside back. So um, you just start putting people in different spots, and when you need to, switch to a three-back. You need to play in a five-back. Just Our kids need to be smart enough to do that stuff. And I tell them that, and they get it. They know before they even get here because they hear the message so often, is just be ready to play in any position and any formation. Wherever we can find a free player to hurt our opponent, that's how we're going to play. Always fascinating tactical talk with Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana soccer team. As we recap their season opening weekend, the Rumble in the Rockies in Missoula last weekend, did a little looking forward to their games this weekend, Wyoming and Portland. Talked a little bit about the Big Sky Conference. Chris, we've covered a lot. Anything else that you wanted to, to touch on before I get you out of here? No, I think we've covered a lot. We even talked about my son's little soccer toy guys. So <laughs> I think I think we hammered it all. And yeah, just look forward to, I feel like next time when I come in, I'll be able to have a little bit more time. I'll grab a couple players and let's go in depth with the Molly query and how Liverpool is. Because when Liverpool play, I'm texting Molly and she has the knowledge to be able to talk about, well, Van Dyke's doing this and Thiago's doing this. So the cool thing is you can have tactical talks with our players in the locker room because we got some hardcore soccer junkies. So I'll bring in a couple of those. Maybe we do Molly and Charlie Boone, City and Liverpool, and have them go at each other. That would be a fun thing to overhear. Can you ever play them in a center back pairing because oh, of that? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah you'd yeah. think they'd be <laughs> they'd be at each other's throats because of that. Yeah, but, exactly. Well, it's been great as always. Chris Chitovitsky, head coach of the Montana soccer team, joining me, Andrew Houghton, for an in-depth and entertaining and fascinating soccer in Snow and Smoke. We've covered a lot of topics. We've opened up 
a lot of other topics for further discussion. Chris, the info on your, you got one home game this week. Where can people come find you? Yeah, Thursday at 2.30 p.m. It's an earlier kickoff because Wyoming's going to get out of town. So Thursday at 2.30 at South Campus Stadium, and then we're at 2 o'clock Mountain Time on Sunday. I think that'll be on ESPN+. Plus. So there you go. You can find the Grizz all season on ESPN+. Plus. This is going to be a, another great season. We'll have Chris, we'll have the players, we'll have the assistants in all season. Thank you so much for being so willing always to come in and talk. Yeah, love it. Thank you.